Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. All right, so it's our yearly Best in Jazz show. In the studio are the people who are always here. In a little while, I'll explain to you really who they are. But right now, simply know that they are Gene Seymour, Jen Allen, and Noah Behrman. They're always here. That's Kenny Barron you hear in the background. We're going to bring Kenny back up because he's the first uh, musician and the first album that we're going to discuss today. So uh, in just a second, I'm going to flesh out the biographies of our stellar panel. Although if you listen every year, you should know who they are already. But before we do that, let's just talk uh, a little bit about this first release. So Noah Behrman, Jen Allen, Gene Seymour, they're in here. Um, and this is the Kenny Barron Quintet of Blue Waters from the album Concentric Circles. Uh, Noah, this is uh, one of your nominations. Why don't you tell us about it? Well, I was just thinking this morning, actually, about a Time Magazine article I saw in a doctor's waiting room in the early 90s when I was just starting to get into jazz about jazz's uh, neglected generation, basically the people who were essentially my age now who were um, too young to be considered legends and too old to be considered young lions. Mm -hmm. And Kenny was one of the musicians profiled there. Full disclosure, Kenny was my primary mentor uh, in my own development as a musician. And uh, it's been really great to see him um, embrace his elder statesman status as he's continued to be a vibrant force in the music and including nurturing young musicians. Most of the people in his current quintet are um, a generation younger than he and, or maybe a little more, and sort of carrying on that uh, Art Blakey, Miles Davis, Horace Silver legacy of um, working young musicians through the band. And he, he, his own powers are totally undiminished. All right. So um, 
before I get some reactions or thoughts from Gene and Jen, let me tell you who everybody is. I think that seems fair at this point. Uh, so you were just hearing Noah Behrman. He's a pianist, composer, educator. Uh, he directs the jazz ensemble at Wesleyan University, and he's the founder and artistic director of the nonprofit Resident Motion, which is also, among other things, a label. Um, he's sort of a my, more idealistic version of Suge Knight and Russell Simmons, but without the rap and the money and the bling and the criminal prosecutions and the weapons, uh, but otherwise very similar. Uh, he's a mogul is what I'm trying to say. Uh, also with us in studio is Jen Allen, pianist, composer, arranger, educator, and member of the BMI Workshop in New York City, also on the faculty at Trinity College, and, and also with us in studio, which is rare uh, for these uh, end-of-the-year uh, sessions, the mayor of the uh, Colin McEnroe show, Year in Jazz, best album, whatever it is. Uh, Gene Seymour, a critic, reviewer for hire, writing pieces for CNN.com's opinion section, contributes essays to Book Forum and The Baffler, and on his blog, That Gene Seymour, he, he does. Uh, it's sort of like, you know, right after the Grammy, it's probably, you know, getting on Gene's top 10 list is like the other thing they're trying to do uh, most of the time. So Gene, since I just introduced you, uh, I, I can't remember whether Kitty Barron made it in any of your hierarchies this year, but what do you think about this particular Well, he's release? in my permanent hierarchy hierarchy because as, as Noah says, he has been with us for a long time. And I think right now it's safe to say that you know among there's a whole generation of jazz pianists who were of, of that previous generation who are no longer with us, like Tommy Flanagan, Hank Jones, people who were right now I'd say Kenny Barron is pretty much alone on that on that mountain. And and the fact is he just puts out the stuff in trio quartet all this other stuff. He still sits in and gigs with other musicians. And he's kind of a quiet force of nature is how I'd put it, I guess, you know, no other way. I mean, he's he's, he's there in the hierarchy that is ongoing, mm. eternal. Jen, as someone who plays the same instrument, any reactions? Oh, I love it. I love this album. I think that Gene's correct. He's just permanently on the list of um, top albums. Um, he has earned it. All right, so um, let's uh, stay with the same instrument. Um, so, Wolfie, we're just going to drop, drop down to Gene's uh, list, and this is uh, Brad, the Matt Brad Meldow trio. Probably if there's a musician here we don't need to introduce to a Connecticut audience, it, it might very well be Brad, Matt, Brad Meldow, who grew up uh, not too far from where we're sitting right now. Uh, this is a Grammy-nominated CD in addition to everything else, or album in addition to everything else. Uh, it's, uh, the, the album is called Seymour Reads the Constitution. Uh, we're going to play the song Friends. Brad Mildow, Gene, uh, uh, set it up for us. Well, I don't need, just as you don't need to know that's who Brad Mildow is, you don't need to know that song is a Brian Wilson song, Friends, which are a couple of the standards that uh, 
that Brad brings onto this album to kind of broaden the definition of what it means to do classic pop. Um, I think we're still in that phase now where, where jazz is beginning to slowly accommodate some of the music from the 60s and 70s. Um, and Brian Wilson, who I think is long overdue for that kind of inclusion, um, has written songs that, that adapt themselves, as this, as this version suggests, they're not just doing a rock and roll tune. Uh, they're they're playing a standard. And the thing with Meldau is that the reason I picked this one is that to me it's an example of how someone like Meldau manages not just to take these these familiar chestnuts and 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 thereby broaden the definition or the context of of pop music, jazz, jazz, pop jazz music, but also he manages to make the song his own <laughs> when he plays this. It becomes a Brad Meldow song, you know, with all of, well, all of his little inversions and the big chromatic uh, perceptions that he has. I mean, he, he owes a lot. People talk about his relationship to other jazz musicians, but he's he's in a bigger game. I mean, he. he we should say the song "Friends" is. I mean, you could know the Beach Boys and know Brian Wilson a little bit anyway, and not know that song because it's you know, it's part of the Beach Boys canon in a slightly yeah. more obscure way. Uh, is it on Smile? I think it's on Smile. It's, uh, it's on, no, on, well, just, one of, one of those, just after. Just, just after, after Smile, smile. Yeah. yeah. So I have, I, like, these are all jazz experts, and I really don't know what I'm talking about um, most of the time, uh, but especially in this context. So the, I have nothing to contribute except really strange bits of trivia that I've dug up for this show. So are you aware of a Beach Boys connection to one of your other picks this year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the ones we're playing today, actually. Mr. Shorter, perhaps? No, no. Mr. Lloyd, of course, yeah. yes. yes. He, Mr. Lloyd did Caroline know some well, years ago. Well, no, yes. which, so Charles Lloyd, who we're going to play a little bit yeah, in a little yes, while, yes. Was, was, play, I guess, doing some work with the Beach Boys and then got into, and I've never heard this, and I'm a little bit of a Brian Wilson freak, but maybe because of that I've never heard this. So Mike Love, who is either you know, a less appealing person than Brian Wilson or like a totally evil incarnate depending on who you talk to. He started some band called Celebration that was sort of like a Beach Boys ripoff band and they put out two albums and Charles Lloyd was sort of you know, right in the middle of all that and uh, Sounds very right. important. So anyway, that's a little strange little t- uh, tie-in. So let's, uh, let's do the same thing. We got uh, two we – we never had so many pianists I think – uh, on the list, uh, on the on the big yeah. nine, I just worked out that way, and yep. we've got pianists here in the room. So, I, I Noah, go ahead, uh, react. Well, it it's true what Gene was saying about Brad's interpretation of uh, pop songs. He's sort of been a something of a beacon for our generation of musicians for playing stuff that you know, playing super tramp songs mm-hmm. and uh, Beatles stuff, Radiohead tunes, and kind of. Um, showing some possibilities for how you can interpret that material that was very much not constructed to work that way and make it fit in a straight-ahead jazz acoustic setting. Yeah. And and I don't know. Is that whole thing, is it over the whole, there was like, you know, if you go back even 10 or 15 years, people, jazz people, certain kinds of jazz people get really upset, you know, if like Cassandra Wilson sang a monkey's tune or something. Are people kind of over that whole thing or? I mean, I think the natural order of things is that the people who would care about such things are getting older, so there's fewer <laughs> of them, and they're not so are the monkeys loudly, actually. So <laughs> fair point. That's right. Right. Uh, so yeah, Jen, uh, how about your reactions here? Oh, I always love Brad Meldow. Is um, there a way that you, as a pianist, can explain 
like Brad Mildow, I mean, certain pianists are just kind of special and they mm-hmm. just, you know, and he's, his stuff does get nominated for Grammys and it just kind of, I don't know. Is there a thing about him that can be articulated or is it in that kind of ineffable world of? No, there's definitely things like the way he interprets melody, uh, his sound on the piano, his mm. his trio sound is very unique. Like you can, I don't know, I went to see him live at the Litchfield Jazz Fest uh, many years ago and they the very first chord they played, I was like, that's the sound. It just has, he has a way to touch, that he touches the piano with so the sound he makes and the way he phrases um, in his improvisations and, and in his melodies. And the interaction with the other guys, too. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's recognizable from like miles away, as they say. So, yeah. 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 One thing that, we, you know, we did this uh, uh, jazz show that Noah helped uh, me put together uh, earlier this year or last year. I've lost track of time. But, um, you know, one of the things that I think is I grasped a little bit more from this live show that we did at Watkinson is how much of jazz is listening. You know, you, you talk about sort of how he interacts with the other trio players. Mm-hmm. I think most people who aren't musicians think, well, no, you make some kind of noise with your fingers in your mouth or something like that. But like, so much of it is just kind of listening to everything else. Yeah. It's just like having a conversation. Exactly. You know, you're it having is, yeah, it's conversation. You're reacting, you're putting something out there. So, yeah. Okay, I have a oh, I have a question that um, I'm going to this is an apropos of any of the particular nominees, but uh, but I wanted to make sure I remembered to ask it and I'd love to get uh, all of your reactions to this. Uh, but uh, Noah, maybe I'll start with you. I mean, how, how much of the music that we're going to be talking about today and that is in general part of the sort of big 2018 jazz conversation, do you sense that there are jazz a lot of jazz people who are reacting to what I we euphemistically referred to as these times that we live in. Like, you know, Kurt Elling has a, an album out this year where he sang, you know, A Hard Rain's Gonna Fall and stuff like that. He's very explicit. He's reacting to the present political moment and the sense of societal dysfunction and the real need for radical change. I mean, is that kind of in, in the air a lot or does, does jazz sort of operate on its own time clock? Well, I think, I mean, for one of the one of my picks, which we'll talk about later by Todd Marcus, is very much in yes. that vein. I would say, statistically speaking, it doesn't seem to be more, much more of that than there typically is, maybe a bit more because mm-hmm. of the current government administration in our country. Yeah, that's what but, I'm, sort of what I'm asking. But I, I would like a percentage, like 23 percent, 24, you know. <laughs> well, I guess the thing is there's just so much... There's so much music coming out now. I mean, it w- this was the hardest year ever for me yeah. in narrowing down this list. There were so many great records that came out. There's just just so much more product um, on the physical and mostly digital shelves that uh, I think there's more there's more of uh, that kind of voice of commentary and dissent, but there's also more of everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you Would you agree with that, Gene? Yeah. No, I. I I, I'm not sure that that it didn't start even before Trump. I, I'd say that even in the last, after Obama's election, I think there were there were people who felt empowered, more empowered mm. to be emphatic about their their social issues. I mean, Ambrose Aki Musier put, started putting out some stuff in the wake of um, you know uh, police shootings of unarmed black men. Got a lot of people, um, mm-hmm. particularly particularly younger black musicians dead center into that issue. So, yeah, I'd say it even predates mm-hmm. Trump to some extent. Uh, I'm going to try to follow the clock a little bit here. So, we're, uh, Jen, we're going to uh, do uh, your, one of your nominees. I don't know how to say this guy's name. Is Noah Berman? Berman. Berman. How do you say it? <laughs> Noah Berman. Noah Berman. Noah Berman, Residence, Residence Ensemble. You want to set this up for us? How did that happen? Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> no money changed hands. I was, no. you know. um, well, this was both uh, Jean and it was on Jean's list and That's on right. mine, but I got the honor of talking about it here. At, well, I'm sure Jean can say some stuff too. Um, but as we all know here and the rest of the world should kind of know is that Noah does everything with um, every piece of uh, music he puts his hands to has a purpose. And um, and this is no different. Um he could probably tell us the best about what it's really about, but for He's me... He's not allowed to talk right now. <laughs> for me, it, um, it it struck a chord, and, and, and how he, he really brought this out to, um, or put this out in order to um, kind of bring to light um, his love and care for one of his musicians who was on this album, Claire Randall. Um, and there's a whole story behind um, The Rock and the Redemption um, how do I, I always say this name? Sisyphus. Sisyphus. You can actually say it. Yeah. <laughs> he said you can't talk, but yeah. you can. <laughs> I will say it's the um, myth of Sisyphus. The myth of Sisyphus. <laughs> well, you know what? That's the first blues here. Why don't we play a little bit of it and then we'll talk. We should say we did an entire show. I did an entire show with Noah about this, which we can maybe link to on the show page for this thing too. So if you want to uh, go on a, on a much deeper dive, you can. But we are going to play right now. Uh, keep on. Though I try to make it go, I try. So Gene Seymour, this made your list too. It did, um, and 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 on two fronts. One, um, I think obviously the the personal and emotional investment that was put into this. I think that this was somebody not just putting their heart into something, but also putting their very being into something, and so that I thought deserved you know recognition. But I just I also want to talk about it in a larger context of what's going on with jazz now, and that is that to me, people always ask, well. Where's the next Coltrane coming from? Where's the next Miles Davis coming from? We have to stop asking that question because what's going on right now, and I think what Noah's doing with this ensemble is emblematic of it, there are new formats and new contexts for for the music itself, for presenting the music. I mean, there will always be a place for the trio and the quartet and the horns in front. But but the combination of voices, of instruments, um, this is going on on a very broad scale by a lot of musicians, some of them in Noah's generation, some of them younger. And I think that there's not enough attention or focus being placed on that kind of work, and yet some of the most significant and interesting work is being done in those contexts. That's why I thought it was important to recognize Noah's work, not just because of the content, but also because of, of what it represents in terms of what jazz is doing right now. Mm-hmm. All right, Noah, no, you can talk. But you should talk about yourself in the third person. <laughs> <laughs> Noah Behrman is uh, a windbag. Uh, no, um, I'm. I appreciate both of you for shouting it out. Thank you, and I want to acknowledge that uh, uh, 
the album is a benefit for uh, an initiative that the nonprofit I direct, Resonant Motion, has started in the memory of Claire Randall, the vocal soloist you heard on that track. And today would have been her 29th birthday. Oh, so wow. if you go oh to clairescontinuum.com, oh, wow. you can read more about this initiative that we've begun in her memory. Um, so, um, and, and yeah, we will, I think it's, if you haven't listened to it, the show that Noah and I did, uh, when this uh, album came out is worth listening to. And we'll actually, we'll try to post it onto the, uh, onto our webpage there. Um, and we'll also post a link. We'll be telling me we'll post a link to link to the Watkins show that we did too. So we're going to do one more, um, uh, song before we go to a break here. This, I was so excited to be, um, introduced to this person. Uh, uh, and I may not even say her name correctly. Suna Gunlaugs? Uh, Suna Gunlaugs. Gunlaugs. Uh, so this is an Icelandic uh, pianist. Uh, she's also, she married a drummer, Scott McLemore. I'm convinced that musicians marry each other more often than people in any other profession. I have no proof of that whatsoever. But it just it seems to me, well, like Jen, you know, for example. Um, so um, this woman, boy, I just was listening to all kinds of stuff that she played once you Cracked the ice, as it were. She's, yeah. she's brilliant. Yeah. You want to say anything else about this before we play a little bit of it? Sure. Or? It's uh, the latest album by her trio, though it's a quartet on some tracks. Um, and she's been doing really wonderful mixtures of straight-ahead jazz and um, Icelandic music for uh, quite a while. I've known her for more than 20 years. And Scott, the drummer, um, and her trio and her husband. And uh She's just a really inspiring and extremely prolific, um, sensitive, powerful musician. And somehow or other, uh, I wandered. I wandered over onto her Bandcamp page where she has like the score to this movie called Reykjavik, and it's this this kind of really cool jazzy noir Icelandic sounding, I guess, score. Anyway, let's play a, a little bit of this. Um, first of all, we should say that the album itself is called Ancestry. This is called A Major Deal. kind of wild for this uh, performer. She sounds a little like Keith Jarrett, a little like Jen Allen. I think those are the two uh, comparisons <laughs> that I would make. But once again, I'll, I'll go back to you. This is your instrument. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like it's great. We've just listened to three different pianists, or actually four, if you include Noah, but he was on keyboard. But, um, you know, we you can really hear the difference in the in the tones and their approach. <laughs> and and she has a really um, uh, a nice way about carrying the trio. Playing trio is, is such a a staple to being a pianist. Mm-hmm. I gotta get on that. Anyway, um, <laughs> and then, but there's so many um, things you can express through the trio, and I really like how she's doing that. Yeah. Mr. Beer? Well, she's got very big ears. Mm-hmm. You, you can tell that by the way she plays. She's listening to everything around her, and um, 
you know, I'm fascinated by Iceland. I mean, mm-hmm. on, on all levels, and right. with, with its literature, with its music, and, and just the whole culture there. Yeah, and even uh, its phone book. Yeah, you know, they don't have they don't have last names in the phone book. I, I don't know if that may have changed, but they I didn't, did not know that. Yeah, but uh, but until I, recently, they did. But not I have figured last, that last you did. Yes, yeah. but yes, I know. I'm 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 glad I'm glad to hear this. I really am. All right. Yeah. So it's terrific. I you've, I'm just going to be a fan of hers from now right on. on. All right. So let's take a little break. Uh, we're going to come back. We're already behind schedule. I will move the mule team even faster. All right, so we've gone from Sisyphus to Prometheus. Uh, that's uh, Prometheus Unbound by Wayne Shorter uh, from the album Emmanon, which I figured out eventually was no name spelled backwards. In the studio with us are uh, the champions of jazz we have every year, uh, Gene Seymour, Jen Allen, and Noah Behrman. This is one of Gene's picks. He needs roughly 45 minutes to talk about it, so I don't know what we're going to do about that. Well, but. thank you for explaining the title. That takes a few minutes okay. off. Um, now, this is a, this is a ep- what can only be described as an epical package of music uh, that includes, and I'm not joking about this, a full-color graphic novel mm-hmm. along with three discs from which you have just heard the first, which has Wayne Shorter's quartet, uh, one of the best and most endlessly fascinating music groups around, playing with the Orpheus Chamber, Chamber Orchestra on original compositions that are spun off this graphic novel. Um, I don't think I have the time to explain what the plot is, if there's such a plot. But <laughs> Please don't. But, but, just, but just know that if there was any doubt, Colin McEnroe listeners, of the multiverse's existence, this album will completely, completely confirm it for you. Well, our, our listeners are in no doubt about the multiverse. We've exactly. Done an, we did an entire show about I it. Know. And they, they I know. know. How, they know how it works. It's, we've given the whole subway map. Exactly. Um, exactly. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Jen, maybe, I don't know, who is Wayne Shorter to you? What, what is she in your multiverse? What is he in your multiverse? Wow. <laughs> Again, we don't really have time for yeah. this, but he's changed the course of music for so many musicians, um, the way he composes, the way he plays. Um, the this I think just even in the sound of it, you know, you start to add the strings. It just has a, another worldly sound to it. So um, Wayne has changed the course of music um, undeniably. Yep. Noah? Yes, all of that. It's, uh, it is an incredible gift to all of us that Wayne Shorter still walks the earth. And uh, I, I have geeked out so much. This, this is my number one of the year also, this uh, this package. And it's amazing and inspiring that he's still so creatively vibrant when the things he did in the 1960s would be enough for him to coast on for the rest of eternity. Mm-hmm. All right. Noah actually has dressed up as one of the characters in the graphic novel today. I don't 
there's no way we can convey to you what that looks like. But um, all right, we're going to uh, go from wherever in the multiverse that was to Philadelphia. Uh, Oren Evans uh, flipped the script. Uh, this is uh, one of Jen's picks. Uh, do you want to set it up at all? or? Um. I oh, should say this is the Captain Black Big Band. In, yeah, in, it's not a full Big Band. It's a it's a nine piece band, but it's um, it has the full sound so of a big band. But it, it, this I picked this because, well, first it's um, I love Orn. I think he's a great player, um, and I love the stuff he's putting out. Um, but this specifically hits all the the spots for me where I'm like I really like the angularness of it, the hard hittingness of it. Um, it's kind of a mix between McCoy and Ornette and everything in there. And this song specifically just leaves you um, not sure uh, what's coming next. And I, I like that. We have a question for Wolfie. How many players do you need to have a big band? Are you asking me? Yeah, well, you oh. said it was not quite a big band. <laughs> well, There's it's not, it's not the traditional big band. The <laughs> traditional big band is about like, I don't know. You got to break into double figures. Yeah, you got to be people. in double figures probably. But this yeah. is, uh, I think this is nine nine or ten people. Yeah. I think it's nine. Well, Lyle Lovett tours with the, the, his large band. Maybe this is going to be a large band. But the, the, I mean, on the in the record, he talks about that he did this for monetary reasons. And, and it's hard to carry a big oh, band. Yeah. So this is just a pared down version of it. But it's, it's great. It all has right. all the energy of We're it. We're going to play a little bit uh, of it. We'll uh, talk some more. I think this might be our last piano player of the day, too. We're moving on. Everybody's out there going, when's there going to be a bass clarinetist? Come on. Where's the bass clarinetist? That's coming up very soon. That's Oren Evans from the Captain Black Big Band, uh, one of several Grammy-nominated albums. I don't know why I decided to care about the Grammy nominations this year. I just decided to. But uh, so, and he is a Philly musician. Right. Uh, and uh, you want to say something about that? I do, actually, because he, when I was living in Philadelphia, he's one of the crown princes of the Philly jazz scene there. And uh, we didn't mention that he has taken over the piano mm-hmm. chair in the Bad Plus Power power Group. So uh, From Mr. Iverson, yeah. Exactly. So he has become even more prominent than he was. And uh, this band album, I, I've seen this band perform, and some of these kind of world-within-worlds horn arrangements, which seem to kind of spiral into each other, I mean, on this track especially, uh, you know, when you see it live, it's even more like, how did they do that? You know? um, that's why another reason I like this album, because it is live and you can really feel the energy yeah. that they have yeah. in yeah. those concerts. Yeah. Yeah, I, I listened to uh, a bunch of things from this album, and I wound up liking some of the other cuts better than I, I like this one. It's really tremendous and fun and tons of energy, you know? I, I'm just going to say, if there's any young musicians listening, in addition to being a wonderful pianist and composer, Oren, who I've known since he was a teenager, I was also a teenager, um, is an incredible role model for what it is to be a jazz musician in this era. He's a great nurturer of the scene. He's a great entrepreneur. He's uh, just really taking care of business from all angles. All right. I, I promised you 
that because they're on the Twitterverse already, they're all saying, "Well, this is just all piano players. Where's uh, where's the bass clarinetist here? Come on, jazz is basically bass clarinetists." Um, and so uh, Todd Marcus is coming up here. This is one of Noah's choices. This is from a uh, an album called On These Streets. Uh, it's called Ground Zero at Penn and North. Let's play it first, and then uh, Noah can say a little bit more about it. Get us going. Working our way down 95 from Philadelphia to Baltimore. Um, tell us a, a little bit more. Yeah, well, so Todd uh, is uh, both a musician and a social activist uh, living in Baltimore, and he lives in the neighborhood where Freddie Gray was murdered. And this whole album depicts what was going on there, both historically in that neighborhood and surrounding that um, social trauma. And it to me is a particularly inspiring example. Anyone who knows me knows that I have a soft spot for socially conscious art that is successful both in the consciousness standpoint and artistically. And Todd is such a great example with this record in particular of how these two things can be married in a way that enhances both. Like the, the, the edge in the music is so clearly imbued with the spirit of his lived experience and that of his community. He, by the way, this organization that he runs called Intersection, uh, Intersection for Change, Intersection of Change, uh, is an amazing multi-pronged organization that does stuff with urban farming and recovery and the arts uh, and I- Intersection of Change. Uh, and it's at intersectionofchange.org. It in and of itself is worth checking out. It is. Todd is definitely walking the walk as a person uh, from multiple angles. Yeah. You want to say anything about this? Mr. Mayor, I am not familiar with Mr. Marcus, and I'm ashamed. I am ashamed to say that this is totally new on my radar. But um, as you say, in both execution and in in its uh, conception, it uh, it it it's working, and I think it's probably a process for him right now. I'm guessing, you know, this whole thing that he's doing. This mm-hmm. is a process for him. This was new for me before. Um, you know, I saw your list and checking it out. I love all the musicians on the album as well, like Paul Mollenbeck and Warren Wolf and George Colligan and, you know, like he, and they're, they're playing as, as Noah said. So I, I, I have to love him because he's doing the things that I also support. So I, I got to check him out more. So, so a fun fact here, uh, he is a bass clarinetist who was, uh, was featured in the first ever World Bass Clarinet Convention uh, in Rotterdam in 2005. Now, that's been collapsed into what's called Clarinet Fest. And we got a lot of people writing in to say, when is Clar- Clarinet Fest 2019? Uh, that's in Knoxville. It's in Knoxville, Tennessee this year. It's usually in Europe, July 24th to the 28th. So uh, They're it, writing this in now as we're speaking. I mean, yeah, they're sending a lot of... It's on Twitter and okay. some emails and stuff like that. They want to know. Um, all right. So, um, so you know, actually, you know what? I don't like clarinets, but I really like this. 
<laughs> I mean, it's, it's not like I mean, I don't have like this deep ingrained prejudice against clarinets. But if I had to list my favorite instruments, it would be pretty low. But I like this a lot. Um, I don't go to clarinet fest is what I'm trying to tell you. Uh, all right. So uh, we're going to go now to, to the aforementioned uh, Charles Lloyd. Uh, he of the uh, Evil Mike Love group, but he's so much more than this. Uh, this is Charles Lloyd and the Marvels and Lucinda Williams, the country vocalist. Maybe do you want to set this up at all, Mr. Mayor? Yeah. Uh, Charles Lloyd just turned 80 this year and this album and a, an accompanying tour was meant to celebrate this. And I followed Charles Lloyd since I was a teenager in the 60s, and uh, it astonishes me that I, I quote Bob Dylan, you know, so much older than he's younger than that now. Well, at 80, he plays like a like a like a like a like a youngster, like like somebody who's just got found the fountain of youth, which for those of us getting older is very inspiring. But uh, this particular group has a lot of talk about interesting contexts. I mean, you've got a steel guitar player, and and you have Bill Frizzell. On, in this band, along with Ruben Rogers on, uh, and it, 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 it's an interesting mix of people. But the element that makes this more fascinating is, of course, Lucinda Williams, a singer about whom I've had mixed feelings over the years. But she has found a home with these guys in ways that uh, just took me completely by surprise, as did this album. Yeah, this surprised me too. This is not a voice that I would associate with jazz. Not that there's really such a thing as a jazz voice, uh, but well, as you'll hear, actually, we should just play it and then uh, Noah in general will say some stuff. Before I uh, go to Noah and Jen about this, I do want to say that the other cut on this album you should check out, and just like just you can just bring it up on YouTube or something, is her their cover of "Angel," the Jimi Hendrix song, which I will almost guarantee you will slightly change your life anyway. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe you go first. Uh, once again, we're talking an awful lot about the el- elasticity of what we call jazz. Yeah. Well, and 
Charles, it's interesting. It, it just occurred to me as we were listening to this that it was kind of a stellar year for elder statesmen rooted in Memphis, specifically. Mm. Uh, Harold Mayburn put out another great record. Uh, George Coleman um, did a record with Connecticut native Brian Charette that was beautiful. And uh, and these are people, these are not just people who happen to be from the same place. They came up practicing together and essentially learning from one another as peers. And uh, that sound mixed with his Coltrane influence and this uh, increasing infatuation with Americana makes for a really interesting mix. Yeah, Jen, any thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're really expanding what we call, you know, jazz. I, I, I teach this in my class at Trinity. We, when I teach jazz history, I'm like, well, what do you guys think is jazz? You know, and they all have ideas. And I constantly am trying to expand those those um, ideas because it's really an umbrella term for so many things. And, and this art form has really been able to absorb so many different things and people can make it their own. Like this doesn't just sound like, you know, people taking one idea and, and putting it next to another idea. It really sounds like a unique sound. And you get musicians like Eric Carland and Ruben Rogers and they make this happen. So this is a great album. All right. So we're going to take a little break here. I should tell you, all of this stuff, because I know it goes by fast and you can't write it all down and you're driving and all this stuff, but we'll at uh, wnpr.org uh, slash Colin. You can find all the shows here, uh, including uh, this one, and we'll give you a whole playlist and stuff like that. So uh, let's take a little break and we'll come back with our last couple of things we need to talk about. Okay, we're back. Usually we do credits right here, but uh, Kyona and I both forgot about them. So anyway, we're the only people who get credits, I mean, besides our wonderful uh, guests here on the panel, and I'll remind you in just a second who they are. But uh, Wolfie and I kind of put this show together ourselves. Uh, I do need to tell you, we have like a really complicated... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a really complicated thing coming up after today. So tomorrow at 1 o'clock during our regular 1 o'clock time slot, I'm going to do a show about sort of, you know, the idea that um, as AI drives out various human activities, human jobs and stuff like that, we, we will gradually discover things that only human beings can do or that things that human beings are irreplaceable at, uh, even by the most sophisticated AI. So we're going to try to you know wrap our hands around that idea tomorrow. There isn't really a clear roadmap about how to do that. But uh, but Josh Nalea, uh, if anybody can do that, probably our producer Josh Nalea will. So, but then at night at eight o'clock, we're going to do another live show, and that's our end of the year nose panel, where we're just going to talk about how culture was in 2018. We're going to have nine of our nose panelists in the studio here. Uh, what could go wrong? Uh, and then uh, so then the next day, that's Thursday. And then Friday, we will rerun the night show at one o'clock and the old one o'clock show at eight o'clock. If you follow me. So we'll have the nose at one o'clock on Friday, and then we'll run Josh's show about AI and human beings at 8 o'clock on Friday night. I knew none of that made any sense, but it was important for me to say it to you anyway. In the studio, uh, Gene Seymour, a critic, reviewer for hire, writing pieces for CNN.com's opinion section. He contributes essays to Book Forum and The Baffler. And if you want to see his entire top 10 list plus other musings as well, you have to go to the blog, That Gene Seymour. Is there like a This Gene Seymour that you're competing with? Or? No, it's a long story. It's a long story. It's we a long won't story. Tell no, right. uh, Jen Allen, uh, the one and only Jen Allen, is a p- piano player, composer, arranger, and educator, and member of the BM wor- BMI Workshop in New York City, also faculty at Trinity College. Uh, Noah Behrman also plays one of those piano things uh, and also is a composer, educator, founder, and artistic director of the nonprofit um, Resident Motion, uh, and he also directs the Jazz Ensemble at
at Wesleyan University. So we're running towards the end of our list, although we have, we have one extra song that I kind of added. Uh, but um, so we're going to play something uh, by Andrew Hadro. I think that's Hedro. how you – Hadro. Hadro. Yeah. OK. Mm-hmm. So already. Uh, maybe just set this up a little bit and uh, then we'll play it and then we'll talk. Sure. Andrew is a, a terrific uh, baritone saxophonist. Um, out of New York, and I met him up at Litchfield Jazz Camp many years ago, um, and he put this album out this past year, and I sometimes get my friends' albums, and I listen, and I love them, and this one, though, struck me, um, and I listened and listened and listened and listened some more. Um, he, It's just three people. It's him and Julian Shore and Rogerio Boccato. No bass. Julian plays a lot of that on the piano. And then um, Andrew's overdubbing lots of different um, either saxophone or um, bass clarinet. And there's just something to this music. His his idea, I guess, was to uh, play music of um, his peers and people who are, you know, have influenced him. And this song specifically is actually a Wayne Shorter tune. And um, I, it was hard for me to pick a, a song off this album because I really enjoy them all. And it's just one that I continue to listen to. Right. So this is uh, Over Shadow Hill Way, excerpt one from For Us, The Living Two, Marcescence, uh, which is all very, very complicated. You're going to have to go to the website to figure out more about this. Even getting the album may be slightly complicated. Anyway, let's hear a little bit of it. All right. So uh, this is obviously something that really bears a lot more listening. So first of all, Mr. Mayor, was this on your radar before? It was not. And, uh, you know, there is so much room for the baritone sax to sort of show how flexible a voice it is. And uh, uh, the first thing that struck me was the register. I mean, it may, it may sound weird, but I I have never or have rarely heard that instrument played at that at that height or altitude or whatever. Mm-hmm. whatever. Um, pitch? It, yeah, pitch. Yeah, it, uh, it it kind of woke me up a little bit. It's, yeah. yeah. Noah? That's a beautiful record. And uh, I would be remiss not to point out uh, that uh, Rogerio Boccato, the wonderful percussionist you hear there, put out his debut album this year, which is also mm-hmm. gorgeous. And which I guess there's so many cans of worms. Uh, I, I, you know, on the we started with his Kenny Barron album that had Jonathan Blake on drums, who's on a great Lonnie Smith album from this year and on the Black Art Jazz Collective album from this year. It's, uh, as well as Jen's and my new record, uh, Raise Up by Trio 149. I'm holding it up um, the microphone so you can see it at home. But it's it's just uh, a bit overwhelming, frankly, just how much great music is out there. It, it requires some vigilance, I know, on our part not to 
let beautiful things just slip by our consciousness. Uh, but yeah, Andrew did beautiful work playing on and arranging this album. Well, the other reason it could slip by is he's got his own label called Tone Rogue Records, I think. And he seems to be not interested in having his music just pop up in some algorithm on some streaming service or something like he wants you to actually know that you want it and go get it and stuff like that. So uh, that's why I said you might have a little bit of a struggle finding this thing. Good for him. Um, so um, I'm just going to end here, first of all, by thanking uh, Mr. Mayor, uh, Gene, uh, and Noah, and Jen, uh, and just uh, we're gonna play one little more little piece of music. This guy, I think he, I think he visited us, visited us one time, maybe by phone or something on on one of these year end jazz shows. Uh, he's Joel Fromm, uh, and I just uh, saw him twice last weekend. Uh, and he's up, uh, his he plays on two Grammy, Grammy, Grammy nominated albums. Uh, one of them is in Latin jazz, and that is the uh, Daphnis Prieto uh, big band, uh, and uh, and then this uh, Freddie Cole. The vocalist Freddie Cole uh, features Joel uh, very heavily uh, on his new, also Grammy-nominated uh, album, My Mood Is You. So I thought we'd go out with a little bit of Joel Fromm on sax. Let's be the way we were when we first began. 